please don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. Hi, I'm Greg McIntyre with the McIntyre Elder Law Report, and we're coming to you today from our Charlotte Uptown office with Miss Mary Kales, who is our benefits director. Hey, Mary. Hey, good morning. And our topic today is benefits and working with the Department of Health and Human Services and Social Services. So applying for special assistance, which pays for assisted living care, applying for long-term care Medicaid, which pays for nursing home care, and working with and dealing with social services. Uh, It can be a daunting task. Wouldn't you agree, Mary? Absolutely. And I know that the social workers at the local DSS who take and process those applications are overworked, and they have a large caseload, and we respect them very much. But we're going to talk about the process a little bit and what we deal with on our end and how we help clients qualify for long-term care Medicaid benefits. I'm honored to work with Ms. Mary Kells, who I always tout as one of the most knowledgeable people about long-term care Medicaid and special assistance benefits, including CAPS, the CAPS program um, in North Carolina. And uh, Mary, you've handled how many Medicaid applications in your career? Oh, gosh, probably hundreds. (laughs) Hundreds and hundreds, yeah, if not thousands. And and uh, you've done that along with our attorneys and and, you know, you you just are, uh, you know, an amazing talent at doing that. And I know you are constantly in study in those manuals. Tell tell um, our listeners today about where the rules are listed for special assistance and where they're listed for long term care Medicaid. And what's the difference? What special assistance pays for what assisted living care? Assisted living care and long-term care Medicaid pays for skilled nursing care. Right. And assisted living includes, for special assistance, assisted living with memory care, right? Correct. Okay. So pays for both. And uh, our, and, and then I know there were some recent changes, and I put out a little information about that yesterday in the income limits for special assistance. The income limit for assisted living uh assistance for special assistance to pay for that is uh, it rate it, it, it significantly increased this year because of the COLA increase for Social Security, which is about 8.2%, right? Yeah, it's the first increase that's happened since 2009. Wow. It's I mean, crazy. so it's been the same. And it was really, I mean, we've seen people who maybe a spouse has died and they get the increased Social Security amount and they're kicked off that program because they go over that income limit. It's a really harsh rule. Uh, we don't have a qualified income trust or Miller income trust option in North Carolina to roll over additional income over that amount into that trust with the state as the beneficiary. So if you go over that amount, you do not qualify for that benefit. Is that right? Correct. Do you know what the the benefit increased to? Yeah, let me take a look here. I do because I just did a little piece about it yesterday. Yeah. I want to say it's like fifteen thirty-five and seventeen thirty-seven, something like that. Yep. So that basic level for assisted living, it's uh, thirteen fifty-five and then seventeen thirty-seven. Thirteen fifty-five and seventeen thirty-seven. So for standard assisted living, it increased to um, that thirteen fifty-five. 
Mm-hmm. And then for, for assisted living with memory care, it increased to seventeen thirty-seven. So if you make one dollar more than that, one penny more than that, you would not qualify for that benefit. Now, now we would contrast that with long-term care Medicaid that pays for nursing home care, and the income limit for it is you can't make more than the private pay rate of the facility per month, which which is uh, most people would qualify for that benefit from the income standpoint because that would be like eight to Ten to twelve thousand a month, right? So yeah. it's a high limit on, on that side, right? <clears throat> and there's different look back periods for each benefit. What's the yeah. look back period for the assisted living benefit special assistance? Three years, and it's five for long term care Medicaid. Uh, for and what does that mean? A look back period, Mary. What do they do during the look back period? People people don't understand that sometimes that it starts at what the date of application, and then they look back. Well, and they look back from there, the three years for assisted living, five for skilled nursing. And they're looking for any kind of transfers, any way that you might have disposed of any assets or income. Um, and honestly, I still think that some of the roles are a little bit unfair because they're going to consider things that are you wouldn't consider a gift, that they're going to consider a gift and, and apply a penalty for that. Right. So they're going to, yeah, they're going to apply a penalty for anything that um, that does not comply with their rules that was transferred wrongly or outside of their rules or against their rules within the last three years for assisted living, five years for nursing home care. But there's many ways, Mary, and you know a lot of those ways that assets can be transferred even within that look back period, correct? Absolutely. Okay. And now we're going to get to, and thank you for joining us today. We were just joined, coming in, coming in hot. Um, Attorney, (laughs) my law partner, attorney, Britton Begley, thank you for being here today. You know, Mary's really talking about uh, the benefits program, working with DSS, the Department of Human Health and Human Services, really just how they apply their rules. Mary, Mary's extremely knowledgeable, as you know, about Medicaid in our office and really, period, and, and, and does her deep research. Mary, when you're doing your research for how these benefits work, the nuances, the rules that I think sometimes even local counties and social services have a hard time interpreting. Okay. Yeah. And it's not necessarily uniformly interpreted from county to county. Right. Right. So where do you go when you need to do that deep research and find out those answers? I either read the special assistance or the long-term care Medicaid manuals, the same ones that DSS um, are trained on and, and practice every day. So you're, you're digging in those manuals. And I know when you find something where you have a question or where there's a case we're processing or things maybe don't match up or we're trying to figure something out, then you'll get, uh, get the attorney involved and we will work on that and look on and look at maybe uh, how to interpret that or, or how it should be. Or it, if the policy is correct, sometimes, you know, uh, right. Based on uh, property law or other areas of law that, that we're really familiar with. So, Right. And I'd, I'd ask you too, Mary, when you're reading that manual, is it always clear to you? It is not. Clear? It is not at all. <laughs> and the other thing too is, you know, does it encompass all aspects of how the law is going to affect, you know, your status and owning assets, uh, transferring money, things like that? Does it have tax consequences built in? Does it have, you know, property law built in? It does not. It it leaves, you know, quite a few things out and there's a lot of gray area. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest 
problems that especially clients coming to us, asking us questions, trying to get our help to plan for this sort of thing have with, you know, you can do a lot of Googling. You can even look at the manual. You can go straight to the source. But it is very dynamic because you're talking about not only what Medicaid um, has laid out as far as their regulations, but it's intertwined with contract law, property law, agency law. Um, and it is incredibly dynamic for anyone to figure out, even an attorney. Um, that's something that we pride ourselves on. One of the reasons why we stay focused on just elder law and not doing other types of things. That's right. And that's where you you get with the attorney and and or we all get together and we figure out the solution, right? Yeah. We figure out those answers. So so, you know, let's say there, you know, and that's where I think people run into problems trying to apply themselves and why they keep sometimes, Mary, you know, we'll see people come to us after they've been rejected from mm-hmm. applications multiple times so that we can align things correctly or explain them correctly to the Department of Health and Human Services. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then if they don't agree, what if they at a local level at DSS do not agree with our interpretation and we know that we're right or we feel that we're correct on our points of law? Um, what's what's the avenue? Are they just stuck forever? No, we might have to pursue um, a decision appeal through the hearing process. Right. So there is an appeals process. And then, Brenton, I know you know if if it's denied outright and uh, it and maybe we don't win on appeal, what's the avenue to pursue above that internal appeals process? Yeah, so there is a, an, an internal appeals process that's multi-layered you know, um, in the actual, from, from the county to the state, and it's, it's a couple levels within the actual state itself. Um, so you, know, you can appeal that way, and you can also appeal it to the superior court in the county where you're trying to obtain the benefits and put it before a superior court judge. If you're doing it through the state level, you're going to start with the uh, county, maybe the county supervisor. A lot of times those folks are attorneys. However, um, they're not uh, an elected judge, an appointed judge. They are, you know, what we would call an administrative officer um, and, and not technically a judge. So if you want to get it before a judge, you can, and that would be in superior court in the county, which you're trying to apply. And then if you had to appeal above that, you'd be appealing to the North Carolina Court of Appeals. Right. And then possibly a state Supreme Court. You, it might, you know, if it's a federal issue, you can remove the federal court and go to, you know, the uh, federal court of appeals, um, circuit court and then Supreme Court after that, too. Um, but it's important to know that there is that option, because sometimes getting in front of a judge is hugely important. And as attorneys, we make that strategic decision uh, because there might be a point of law that a judge needs to help decide rather than just putting it in front of the state. Um, and you might get a better understanding of how the law works if you put it in front of the judge. Agreed. And that's not a route that we want to take, want to take. Um, you know, I remember early on in my career doing Medicaid planning and emergency cases that I would come up with the most beautiful complex plans that worked under the rules that I saw that made total sense to me. But then when I presented them to social services, uh, they wanted to smack me and also tell mm-hmm. me that 
what what are you thinking? What what is this mess? You know, what is this complex thing? So we know um, how to boil those things down now into the simplest, most understandable plan possible under the rules that we know social services is used to. Yeah, and used yes, to- because we've worked with them quite a bit too, and. You know, quite frankly, after the thousands and thousands of cases that we've done with all hundred counties in this state, they've learned, you know, a lot from us. We've learned a lot from them, how they react to certain things, but they've learned a lot from us, too. And that, you know, education um, has assisted in being able to, you know, uh, hands uh, a fully completed application over with the qualification that we've done and they, they understand, they understand where we're coming from. That's not to say that we won't take it to the, you know, superior court if needed, because sometimes you need to, you know, I mean, it's just, it reminds me a lot of tax law. I have a tax background and if you study tax law, a lot of it is litigation based because, you know, try to get, try to exploit some type of um, provision in the tax code and, you know, the government didn't like it and uh, you got to go to court over it, you know, and it, it's just it is what it is. If if the the law is written, um, you know, where you can take advantage of a certain provision, then you should be allowed to. And you shouldn't just throw your hands up and give up if the county doesn't let you do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, Mary and I had one last year, didn't we, Mary, where mm-hmm. we yeah. actually changed and set policy in the essay manuals for local social services. And I would say reciprocally in my career and in our practice, it's been an exchange of information between social services locally and uh, the the attorneys at the state level, DHHS. Uh, You know, I know I've learned and grown a ton working with them over the years and they taught us plenty, you know, Um, and vice versa. Every once in a while, we'll score a win too. And, uh, and that feels good. So, so it's a good dance um, and it's needed. So, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? Or just that game and that process helps us. And like Brenton said, um, it's important to stand up for yourself, your loved ones, and to receive the benefits that you deserve. We want it to, the applications to go through smoothly and quickly. And nine times, 99 times out of 100, they do. Yeah. But we don't want to be scared to go to the next level either or challenge. Yeah. Because, you know, less importantly for the individual client, but more importantly for folks, you know, broadly, any time we can take a case to court and, you know, really work through those issues. That helps a lot of folks uh, because we clarify points of law that can be used as precedent in the next case. So no client wants to be a guinea pig. Um, and certainly we never want to take that opportunity if we can go a better route, an easier route, a quicker route. Uh, and like you said, 99% of the time we can do that. But if you're that one case, you know, it also helps to just take it, you know, stick it, stick it to them, really take it to the court figure it out because not only will that help you in your situation, but you know, you'll have an impact on everybody else who's trying to apply and get benefits that they rightly should get. So out there, if you have any questions about how to apply for a benefit, 
for assisted living or nursing home care in North Carolina for a loved one. Uh, there's some important elements of that. You know, that's why estate planning ahead of time is extremely important. General durable power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, living will, those, those foundational work. That's important, Mary, the general durable and the healthcare when you're making the application, correct? Yes, extremely important. Yeah. And, and those are things we want to sit down and talk about. You know, sometimes we have to pursue guardianship as part of this application process. Uh, and you can still achieve asset preservation and benefits qualification even within the guardianship. Uh, certainly easier to do that if the person has been proactive and planned ahead and put in place that financial guardian or financial uh, appointed agent under the power of attorney or healthcare agent under the healthcare power of attorney. And we would love to help. If you want to do your own independent research, again, you can go to the Medicaid manual and the SA manual and give us the, those. Uh, I know they have some numbers, right? The, the, the specific designations. What's the special assistance manual, Mary, for assisted living? Um, so they actually have some different sub uh, categories, but the main ones will for skilled nursing that we use are MA2230 and MA2240. Um, and then special assistance has theirs broken down as well. Yep. So you can usually Google that and find that it's public record, right? Um, and I'd invite people to do that. Um, and we want to be a great source of information here at McIntyre Elder Law to you and freely give that. Uh, we offer free consults to sit down and discuss your issues. Um, and uh, our number is one 999 or you can schedule right online. Tons of information on our website as well at mcelderlaw.com. And, you know, I'm just blessed to work with really smart, skilled, and talented people like Mary Kales and Britton Begley um, and the other folks that I work with, both in the benefits department and other departments in our firm. Um, so anything else to close out the subject, guys? Just thanks for letting me pop on. Yeah, man, I appreciate you popping on this meeting. I know, I mean, this morning, and, and I know you were uh, tied up in some other meetings, so I appreciate you being here. And we'll come to you every week with a new episode and more information on the Elder Law Report. Life is busy, we all know. We put off planning till things get slow. Tomorrow's never promised today. Don't get too busy and let it all slip away. Don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. Foundational planning or more complex. We can help when you're perplexed. If a loved one needs long-term care, we can help avoid some of the scare. Please don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. State planning benefits and even probate. We take the planning piece off your plate. If you or your spouse were in the military, we can help with benefits for your family. Don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. 